utilize that. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, some grad grindian kind of like overlord. Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time poor and enthusiasm rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Christopher Such. Hello again. Adam Smith. Hello again. And Lloyd Williams Jones. Hello there. And Lloyd, we are very, very close to your wife's due date. So if you make it through this whole episode, we'll be very, very pleased, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. And we're, we're going to explore routines, in particular, those routines that are important for beginning teachers or any teacher, really, at the start of a, a new academic year. But first, Chris, what you reading for? Hey, what you reading for? In the past, I've recommended um, a book called Several Short Sentences About Writing by Verlin Klinkenborg. I think at some point as well, I've talked about uh, things I read um, as a much younger man, things like um, Politics in the English Language by George Orwell and Strunk and White's Elements of Style. So I'm a fan of these kind of pithy books that give advice about writing. I like the bravado of telling people what good writing is while you're writing. I think that takes a certain amount of... Uh, yeah, of courage. And I, I love reading that stuff. And I've come across um, another one of these recently called uh, First You Write a Sentence by Joe Moran. I think one of the reasons why I think this one in particular is of value potentially to teachers is that there is a, a narrative about how people learn to write where we say things like, well, at primary school, we need to focus more on sentence structure. And that is an idea that I have sympathy with. And yet there is underpinning it this sense that well, yeah, we get how to write a sentence well sorted, and then we can focus on the other bits. And what this book, First You Write a Sentence by Joe Moran, focuses on is this idea that actually, you know, a huge part, if not like 90% of being a good writer is about sentence construction. It's about finding the rhythm and the, um, the simplicity and the joy of individual sentences. So highly recommended if you are someone who teaches writing or if you are interested in writing. What about you, Lloyd? What are you reading for? So I've been um, reading um, a blog by our good friend, good longtime friend of the show, uh, co-creator, some might argue. Um, Where Do Classroom Tasks Fail? Part 2. This um, is part of his uh, uh, blog series um, on task design. As we know, Elliot, uh, you know, uh, quite a voice on task design and it's a great it's a great little blog it's short it's it's to the point and it really captures that kind of um uh just where where things don't work um particularly in primary in the primary setting and uh he focuses on the 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 twin sins of, of uh curriculum design um which is uh what it, what he quotes as wiggy and mctiggy i think when if you ever see him talk live um uh wiggins and mctai i think is, is probably how it's pronounced um but it's uh yeah you know he splits it down into uh, sort of activity focused uh based teaching or um uh coverage based teaching so that's often where where things can go wrong and he just really captures that 
really, really well. Then really interestingly, towards the end of the blog, he, he talks about what well, now I'm going to try and pronounce this correctly. Uh, Mathematic effects. I think that is how it's pronounced. Mathematic effects, which from my understanding, what he's written there is a breaking down of uh, Manthanian and Thanatos, which means like the death of learning. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just beautiful in itself, <laughs> uh, the, the name of that. But yeah, really super interesting blog. And again, he's 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 just excellent at capturing that. Um, and he really does need to write that book, I think. But yeah, Adam, what are you reading for? Uh, I am reading a book um, called Building a Second Brain by Tiago Forte. So I've been really looking forward to this book coming out for about a year now. Um, it's written by someone who's quite prominent in the sort of like knowledge management nerd space that I uh, sort of inhabit alongside teaching. And it's essentially about sort of like constructing for yourself uh, an external um, collection of all your notes and thoughts and uh, doing it in a way that's like accessible and searchable and powerful because you sort of like create actions for yourself and things. And I'm really interested in this whole space. So I use some software called Notion to like organize all my teaching and uh, organize my writing and uh, any sort of freelance work that I do and um, basically just everything in my life down to like finance and, and things like that is all managed through this software. Um, and I sort of it is a second brain for me. It's somewhere that if I forget things, they're in there. Um, it, and, you know, as teachers, we're always thinking about um, remembering knowledge and we're thinking about using knowledge and we're thinking about um, how our brains store knowledge. And we know that that's a very flawed system. So this idea of having a second, like pretty perfect brain where we store things is actually really useful. Um, so it's, it's interesting because it's written for people who are just beginning on this sort of journey, but I've really enjoyed reading it because it kind of backs up a lot of what I i do and what i'm interested in so and maybe this summer i'll get around to recording some more videos for my uh youtube channel that, that was sort of all on this topic of of managing knowledge and uh and uh being more productive with the time that we have because we are as kieran always says enthusiasm rich but time poor kieran what are you reading for so my book is called viking britain by thomas williams and essentially it's an exploration of where the evidence puts the Viking era and how the Vikings impacted on life in Britain. Looks at sort of myths that there may have been built up over sort of centuries, just particularly, you know, I think in the Victorian age, the Vikings became quite popular, but the, the rigor wasn't there necessarily in the evidence assessment. You know, if I give an example, I'm quite fascinated with the idea of this great heathen army that came in sort of the ninth century-ish and in an act of revenge, took over most of England, um, you know, killing the king of Northumbria. This book sort of analyzes the, you know, the, the translation and the fact that it might actually have just been a group of 30, <laughs> you know, because the, the way the word was used in Anglo-Saxon Northumbria at the time, it could mean anywhere between 30 people and 100 people. So we're not actually sure if that army actually existed. And he goes into this sort of exploration of that kind of thing. And, and the idea that the Northumbrian king may have already been dead due to two rival kings fighting each other and stuff. So really unpicking, you know, there's this big mythology that comes with, you know, and obviously TV has a lot to do with it. So I'm really finding interest in someone going, here's the evidence for this, this and this. Here are the conclusions that we can possibly make about an area that, uh, that fascinates me. So if, if you're teaching Anglo-Saxon Britain, if you're teaching viking near britain then i think this is a must read you know and it's it's if nothing else entertaining and sort of rigorously researched so yeah all for it 
So this week, as we perhaps turn our attention to the new academic year, I think it's quite timely to spend some time thinking deeply about routines, because the first thing we need to do when we arrive at school on what, the 31st of August, 1st of September, is establish those routines with our children. And I know that everyone here is either extremely experienced or extremely keen to explore this topic. And hopefully what we can do is we can discuss the things that we think are important for teachers as they prepare for the, the new academic year. And I think, Lloyd, I'm gonna to go to you in the first one. Which routines should we focus our attention on during this chat today? I was sort of thinking about this before um, the episode. And, and whilst I completely agree that um, we should be talking about this on a sort of pupil level, and I know we've, um, we've, we've touched on this previously, I do think this is this there's three levels for this. There's a sort of pupil level of routine, a teacher level of routine, and a leader level of routine. And, and I think it could be interesting potentially to unpack some of that and explore on those different levels what, what we mean what we mean by that. Um, so if I if if I just jump off and start talking a little bit about what I think potentially could be some some leader routines, um, and uh, because I think that. It, that's where it comes from, and I know we'll we'll probably get on to talking a bit more about the facilitation of, of routines and things. But I think that there is, you know, there's a really important. It's really important uh, for leaders to set the precedent around routines and the culture for routines right from the very from the very start of the year. This is before teachers are practicing, before children are practicing. You know, right at the top. Um, that needs to cascade down is this culture of routine and this the understanding and the importance of how that fits in to leaders practice as well so even down to things where um when we look at behavior for example um leaders need to have like good routines around behavior for, like so how they look at behavior in a, in a routine way and i i think that's important you know that 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 the scope for that is, and the structures for that, and the mechanisms for that are laid out and 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 are put down early on in the year, so that you know that there's um, a set structure to revisit uh, behaviour all through the year. Now, I I know that um, uh, Andrew Percival's uh, behaviour curriculum is just a stunning piece of work, and I know talking to him recently, he's just updated it as well, actually, and he makes that freely available on his on his website. And I would implore schools and leaders to look at the work he's done there because that is you know like you said it's not a pick up and put down in your place model but it's an incredible start to to look at something and how you can structure something from a leader's perspective so i think that you know having those uh those routine routine items on an agenda a behavior analysis happening every week a you know these sorts of things that are Look, we're going to set off on the right foot with this right from the word go. I think is 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 really really important. Um, uh, there of course you know we could unpack. I could I could spend ages unpacking lots of different routines that are important for leaders. But I think actually the oversight of behaviour is is where we need to start those behaviour relationships. Like and leaders having a really clear sort of uh, um, sort of pathway, if you will, through, through the year that is structured in a way which supports 
uh, it supports everybody. It supports the, the leadership team themselves. And then that cascades all the way through the school, right down to the children. Um, and I think that's, it's just imperative for that at that point. I mean, I think last time it was Neil, Lloyd, me, and potentially Chris discussing. And I think we came at it from that leadership angle quite a bit. So when I have this discussion in mind, and this isn't me shooting you down, because I think it sets the scene perfectly, you know, you, you will be much better served if your leadership have a strategic view to this, if they have systems in place that support you in establishing your routines. But I think the audience right now are the, is the class teacher. It's Adam going in on that Monday morning, Monday the 5th of September, I think it might be. What, what has he got to have in mind? so that he can get his year off to a, a successful start, because not everybody's going to have Lloyd Williams-Jones or Neil Almond as their deputy head teacher, you know? So I think it's what can we control? But I do think, you know, you've set it up perfectly. Where things are in place is actually a piece of cake. Um, you know, and people have asked me, you know, um, about the relationship between behavior and learning. Well, I think, you know, like you say, Lloyd, if those things are in place, well, then you can focus on teaching and learning. Um, but how can we sort of support ourselves where that, you know, maybe not where that's absent, but where, you know, there's a need to focus. So I don't know, Adam, which routines would you focus on as part of this conversation? I mean, it's so interesting hearing Lloyd talk about it from that perspective, because I am coming at it from the other perspective. You know, I am coming at it from the 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 classroom perspective and i'm fortunate to be in a school that is very supportive with those leadership routines uh, and i think i have been at schools in the past that haven't been that clarity hasn't been there so it does all it does all live and die on that that third level um but thinking about it from the first level so or first and second level as a teacher in september i mean last year I decided to go in hard on routines um, because the previous year I sort of like coming back from COVID and things like that. I know that's an excuse we use about every 10 minutes at the moment in education, but I was, you know, maybe didn't have the strongest start to the year and it was difficult to sort of claw back some of the, some of the territory that I'd lost um, in terms of those routines later on in the year. So this year or this previous just gone academic year, I was like, well, we're going to do routines from September the 1st, uh, and we're going to do them hard and we're going to go um, all the way and we're going to get them right. And um, and I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty proud of the way that my class um, swung with those routines last year. And it made a massive, huge difference to my year, knowing that the, there was a sort of certainty of routines. And, and there's so many routines. Uh, you could sit down and map out your day in a classroom and, and things, a lot of them are not even explicit. I mean, the, the, the thing about routines is you're making something explicit in your class that you expect your students to follow um, every single time. Um, and a lot of the routines that we have in class are pretty, pretty implicit. So I would say the explicit routines that I'm thinking about for September are start of the day, and entry into the classroom. So uh, what does that look like? Um, just, you know, there's a, there's the debate about whether you're, you, at the beginning of the day, do you stand on the door? Do you have your door open? Do you welcome students in? I prefer to actually have my door closed because then the classroom is a quieter environment and students come in and I welcome them and look at their reading records and can interact them with them sort of in a, a more controlled space. Uh, transition, that word is going to come up a lot, I would imagine today. Transition is sort of... Um, is key transitioning between uh, different activities, transitioning between different lessons, transitioning uh, from uh, one type of session to another. 
routines around assessment and questioning. So uh, in class, do we have a routine for using mini whiteboards? Do we have a routine for when we put our hands up, when we don't put our hands up? Do we have a routine for when we're, we're listening or responding to what someone's saying? You can get really granular with that. I know teachers who have, you know, like, oh, if my left hand is up in the shape of an L, that means I have uh, something I want to contribute in. If I have one finger in the air, it means I need the toilet. And if I am doing this motion, it means that I want to add something. Yeah, and I, I, I haven't gone into that level, but I understand that's that's there. Transitions for leaving the classroom. So, um, you know, in the case of going to lunch or at the end of the day, um, and then also probably something that that is that middle level between leadership and the classroom is whole school routines. So um, assembly is always a pinch point, end and beginning of lunch. Um, when students come in the gate in the morning or when they're they're picking up their like, mobile phone in the office in the evening, things like that, uh, routines that, that need to be agreed across the entire school. So uh, we're in a really old Victorian building. So how do we get all students to move around the school in a way that you know year three aren't screaming and jumping off the wall while year five are <laughs> nice and, and calm and quiet we need to have some kind of discussion across the whole school about what what those routines outside the classroom look like even if there might not be that level of control over routines inside each individual teacher's classroom yeah totally agree with what you say there um about the importance in particular of those kind of entry and exit things like the, the, how, how the day begins and ends is so important um, I would chuck a few things that are kind of obviously linked to that that I always felt were particularly useful. So the way in which we line up, you know, are we going alphabetical order, i.e. register order? Are we going um, this table, then this table, or front row, then second row, or however it's organized? How you do that seems to be quite an important one. Um, just linked to that as well, the register. How are you taking the register each morning? I think the, the uh, uh, routines are important across the day, but the ones at the start of the day in particular that set the tone and just calm things down, particularly if pupils maybe have, for whatever reason, have come from um, a less than ideal environment, you know, you know, maybe they've been pushed over in the playground or whatever it might be, having that settled routine at the very start of the day is particularly important. I think anything relating to equipment is worth thinking about in terms of a routine, anything effectively where you find yourself tearing your hair out and thinking, oh, <laughs> this doesn't work as well as I'd like it to. It's worth having kind of something explicit that then becomes um, practiced through re through rehearsal i think also pedagogical stuff like i i most teachers that i know use something like think pair share i think making that explicit at the start of the year how do we do this how does it work i think the signals for quiet are really important as well so you know do you go three two one and then put a hand in the air or is it just a hand in the air or do you have some kind of other um signal making that clear getting children familiar with that explaining why you do it um, is really useful as well. In terms of pedagogical routines, I'd say also anything else that you do, you think I'm going to use this 20 or 30 times across the year. So I like what I sometimes call brain and pen. It's not my invention. It goes way back. It's had a hundred different names. That thing that uh, where, where, where students work together and coach each other through something, having that as a routine where you get that set in stone, kids know what they're doing is um, a really useful thing as well. But I'd say there's just one more that I often forget about because it doesn't feel like it needs a routine, um, but silent working, the transition into and out of silent working. I mean, yes, that's um, Adam was spot on when he's talking about transitions there. So maybe that comes under that. But specifically, what do pupils do when they're silent working? What do they do if they want attention, particularly during silent work? I think silent work is such a valuable part of every lesson. 
that having really clear expectations and really clear sets of steps that pupils go through for different parts of that is uh, valuable as well. So that's kind of the stuff I'd be thinking about. I mean, there's not much that isn't connected to some sort of routine then, is there really is what I'm, I'm grabbing. You know, your whole day when you're working efficiently and effectively could potentially be quite highly routined. So, I mean, to an extent then, we can't possibly go through each of those and say, I would do this with this. So we're probably talking more generally speaking about how we can go about establishing routines. I mean, Adam, what's your plan? I think it'd be really interesting to see what your plan is for establishing routines at the start of the year. And then we'll see what Lloyd and Christopher would have done in their experience when they had a, a class to sort of compare. It's almost like a peer review. <laughs> The, the really good thing about starting back this year is because of the way the calendar works out, we have inset on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then the students are back Thursday, Friday. And because it's sort of a rump week, so actually that Thursday and Friday is literally just routines. We might do a bit of maths, we might do a bit of English, uh, we will probably do like times tables tests and put names on books and stuff like that. But generally speaking, like that will be my major focus for the Thursday and Friday of the first week back. And it starts literally like the, it's already started. It started when we did our transition day and we, we talked about some of the routines my class have used this year. Um, and then it starts like the first student who walks in on that Thursday, um, you know, hi, this is what we do. We put our bags away on this is where our bags go, our coats go, we come in, we show our reading records and then we sit and, and we do this. And, and I will explicitly have, a set of um, uh, not uh, maybe slides or flip chart paper that I can constantly refer back to with the routines explicitly written out in really simple language. Um, not for everything, but just for like transition, for example, just for beginning of the day, end of the day, things like that. And then we'll just learn them. We'll just learn them. It's just learn behavior and it's fun. The children really enjoy it at the beginning of the year. I have to be honest, I really enjoy it as well. Kind of like I'm not... Uh, <laughs> I think, as is often the case with these things that seem a little bit like they might be quite authoritarian or controlling, you don't go in with that tone with it. You go in with a sort of like, look, yeah, my class last year were absolutely amazing, but I know for a fact that you guys, you are going to get this absolutely down pat. You just need to practice it. But like, and I always, um, I love countdowns. So I love anything that has a countdown because you sort of like, you know, you're giving them space and time to, to process things rather than expecting things to happen immediately. So last year with my class, I was like, right, okay, well, we're going to start off with 25 seconds to get from sitting down to lined up in silence in lining up order. And I was like, whoa, whoa, can we do it in 20 seconds? Can we do it in 15 seconds? Don't do it in less than 15 seconds because they just start screaming and <laughs> running about and knocking over chairs. But um, yeah, and then all year, and then it was like 15, four, and literally to the, it was always Pavlovian by the end of the year when they would hear the number 15. They they knew that we were sort of ending and they would put their books, stack their books up uh, and get lined up to the point where there were a few points in the year where um, I would be like doing something and say 15. And then they would like get, you know, so you would see them like kind of shudder and start to put the things away and then be like, well, we're in the middle of a maths lesson. So it's getting that like automatic, automaticity automation something like that to it um in order to to think about um how these students are just going to do it without without thought hopefully by you know the middle of autumn one um yeah and then you can finesse them through the year you you i think it's important to not stick with routines that aren't working so 
um think about how how things change through the year but that's that's my plan really is just like thursday friday routines basically the whole first week massively focused on routines where we will like trek around the school like i'll get my step counter out and i'll be like yeah doing my twenty thousand steps because we're just going to go like upstairs downstairs upstairs downstairs lining up and and that that's really 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 important i mean some people might see that as a waste of time but it's not at all if you can't get your class lined up and moving around in silence then your year is going to be an absolute nightmare um so we just yeah we just do that we just practice 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 make it fun make it light make it entertaining uh but ultimately crack down when there's any sort of <laughs> um uh slack uh in the i guess we'll talk later about kind of when that slack comes in because it's quite important to counter it what adam said is is spot on you know it's that early early intervention and and getting those things run uh, straight away i think it's probably you know we we talk about routines and it might potentially be important to um like i, I know it sounds straightforward but like explain why it's so important like um because there, there's a lot of cognitive science sitting behind routines and things like and like peps obviously writes incredibly on this um and i would i would 100 pick up his book motivated teaching if you if you haven't already done so which essentially is a book about routines um and how and how that feeds into motivation and and uh you know that you know swellers work reducing cognitive load was one of the one of the main reasons uh and also helping our send children for the predictability element as well we need that we need to have that in there for them and settle them straight away at the beginning of the year i think one of the things as well that 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 um is really important yeah. And, and, and again, I'm going to I'm going to signpost another piece of reading here if you haven't already done so. Uh, it's Thompson and Sparks's chapter in the in the Research Ed Leadership book. Uh, it's a stunning chapter on routines. Um, they're a secondary. They are secondary based, but there's a tremendous amount to be to be gained from that chapter. Dixon's Academy, I think, um, and it's just a masterclass from what they describe in how they run everything. Everything, you know, it, it's that sort of um, uh, that finer detail. Uh, in, in what they do, they don't lose a minute, you know, and they and they they quite openly say they're quite pedantic about it down to the minute, because and like Adam, you know, echoing, echoing what Adam said there, that slack, and I'm sure, like I said, we'll, we'll come on to it in a bit, but every single tiny bit counts. Uh, every every minute from the minute they step into the school is important for us uh, as leaders, as teachers, anybody in the school. It's every minute is important that we have, we have no time to waste with children. Um, and we, we need to make sure that we utilize that. Now I'm not saying that, you know, some grad grindian kind of like overlord, but there does need to, you know, that structure, those tight systems, you know, you, you, you rise to the, to the level of your systems, you know, not, not goals. Uh, and, and it really is important that, that you, you nail that stuff down early on. Um, so, and so like, and I, and I think for any leaders listening, like, cause I'm sure there are leaders, I know there are leaders listening, that's why I want to be. That's why I would be thinking is like, do all my te have this has this been communicated to all my teachers? Like, and 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 if you, if you are in a school, like, have you heard that from your leadership? Are, are they prominent coming forward about this stuff? Um, because if not, maybe that's a conversation that needs to be had. And you know, and and I think it's important that that is that is platformed because um, you know, whatever wherever you are in the school and whatever rung on the ladder you are, sort of thing. It, it it's everybody's duty routines are everybody's duty so it's really really important in, in that sense i think perhaps i can just throw in a few tips i mean i'm going to take my usual role of stating the obvious <laughs> which i'm sure people are definitely not sick of by now 
but I would say like from the years of trying to build routines in different year groups, there were certain things that seemed to be fairly universal, um, be it, you know, year one or year six, obviously clearer communication of how these routine, how these routines are going to work with children, as Lloyd says, why you're doing them, what you're hoping to achieve, but exactly how they work. If they are a more complicated routine with say four steps, don't just tell children all four steps tell them the first one, practice that, and then say, okay, now let's do the first step and the second step, which is this. Then you do one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, you kind of build it up. So you think of it as teaching, you know, you, you, you're, you're introducing these routines in small steps and hoping that they're going to kind of put them together. Obviously, as has been implied, you need repetition and practice of these things in order to uh, get them to work. It's also worth noting that there's often a temptation to deviate from your routines. And there are circumstances that force that but you need to be thinking in the back of your mind that each time you deviate from the routine, you're just taking a bite out of it. You're just making it a little bit harder for future you to use that routine. So if in doubt, force yourself to like stick with it. I think also naming routines can be a really, really valuable thing. So a very small routine, for example, relates to um, use of whiteboards. Adam mentioned this, that mentioned this earlier. And I saw a teacher just say something along the lines of, okay, so do X, Y, and Z. Okay, write your answer. And then she said, okay, and stash it and flash it. And so this was a routine where children hid the board until she made a particular signal and then they showed the board. And just having that name for it just made it really obvious what the route, how the routine worked. So naming your routines can be a really valuable thing to do. Having specific cues for those routines as well. So we've talked about countdowns. A little, a little tip here as well. I tend to say, this is how I want to do my routine and I'm going to run it, however. But in the later years of my career, I found that there was a lot of value in uh, going and having the chance to observe the teacher that I'm going to, so the, the class that I'm going to inherit and how they're being taught. So one group of year ones that I inherited in year two, they had a lovely routine of she counted down, she went three, two, one, and then she rang this little hotel bell and children just went beautifully silent. And I thought, if I'm picking up this class next year, why don't I buy a bell? Why don't I use the three, two, one, ring the bell or get one of the kids to ring the bell if they're sitting particularly beautifully, that kind of stuff. So I think taking advantage of routines that are already in place, again, this feeds back into what was being said earlier about whole school routines. If you've got a whole school way of getting the class's attention, wonderful, because you've got that kind of built in. If you don't know, think about what routines they had in place before and where possible, take advantage of those. I'd say the last thing, and this kind of links into what I've said before, is in a lot of cases, you're looking for quite a complex set of behaviours that if you try and build a routine for this thing all in one go, it's going to be a bit of a struggle. So in my year twos, there was a like a, a morning routine which involved them coming in, handing their homework in, going and hanging up their bag, which was in a different uh, like was through the classroom, then um, fetching their handwriting book, then sitting down and then looking at the board and kind of cracking on with the handwriting bit. And what I did was I built little routines for each of those, and then once they were, once I was confident that the kids were comfortable with all of those, we kind of put them together into a larger morning routine. So thinking about how these things get chunked, how these get put together into something larger and wherever possible, doing that, naming it um, is probably a good idea. But those are pretty much all of the little tips that I picked up over the years. Um, I'm sure I forgot. Oh, one more, focus on the positive. If you're teaching those routines, it's always going to be a bit of a struggle at points and it's tempting to say, 
oh, well, you haven't got that. No, you want to point to the fact that, oh, yeah, we did this really well yesterday. And again, I think Adam spoke to this earlier, but focusing on the positive, um, trying to say that most most people are doing this particularly well. Um, we just need to tighten it up is a much better way to go. It's really, really important to make sure that you make it really clear for children the link between the routine and success and why that's important. So really, like he said, elevate that link, you know, with it, when it's learning success, because ultimately that's a lot of the time while we're doing it, we're, we're maximizing our time. We're being as efficient as we can so that we can, we can be really successful with our learning. We have more time to understand things if we don't understand this. And really, really over-communicating that point, I think is it's really, really important that children understand the why, you know, that they, like Chris said, they understand the why that link between the routine and success is really, really key. Just to say a nice way to do that, um, that I've seen done and that uh, my partner told me about was actually, um, as we do with a lot of stuff, when you're explaining something to kids, getting to check they've understood getting, or to check that you've got a better chance that they've understood at least asking someone to explain it back to you, getting a kid to say, once you're first introducing this routine and say, okay, so what are we going to do? And then you ask a few kids to tell each other or explain back to you what it is they're going to do. Perhaps something along the lines where you're talking about the justification for it as well. So why do we do this routine? Tell you, tell your partner, then feed it back. Yeah, you've got that. Fantastic. Might be um, a valuable aspect of communicating these things clearly. When you're talking about why you're doing certain routines, it, it really draws into uh, what you prioritize as a teacher. So for me, I'm thinking about like why I do all the routines that I do. And it's about like maximizing the amount of learning time, having time in our day for reading for pleasure, um, making sure that things are neat and tidy, making sure that we are like polite and respectful of each other, making sure that we have a chance to, for everyone to do things equally or to have some sense of equity in the classroom. Like every single routine links back to what I would see as like the pillars of my classroom. Uh, and I think that's really important. I, I talk about golden silence in my class. So we say, I don't, we don't use it. Maybe uh, we have periods where we're working in silence and I wouldn't use the term golden silence. And then I would say, well, actually we're going to concentrate on these mass problems in golden silence because that is the, you know, we are so lucky that we can work in an environment uh, like that and really big it up and make a massive fuss about it. There's a routine for going into it. There's a routine for coming out of it that involves that little hotel bell, which I love the hotel bell. The hotel bell is a, is a great innovation. Um, uh, yeah. And that is a really special routine. And then children feel like, and, and also there's, there's sort of a heightened, sanction behind it as well it's sort of like if we're in golden silence then you know you you get your warning but then we need to think about whether we're whether breaking golden silence is really it's really sacred it's really something that we don't want to we don't want to mess with so it'd be really really upsetting if people felt that they they didn't want to take part in that or what you know that's not quite the language i would use but um yeah so it all links back to what your core values are what the values of your classroom are what what things you're trying to achieve quietness tidiness concentration a chance for children to to be their best selves that almost sets me up quite nicely for a question that wasn't on the original list of questions but as i'm listening to you guys speak comes to mind right and i suppose it's what is because adam said you said if if they don't follow the routines well then there will be a suitable consequence if you're that teacher who has a class where the children don't care they really don't care about the routines that you're trying to establish. You know, they couldn't care less if they do them or not, you know. And five weeks into the term, you are pulling your metaphorical hair out because nothing has been established. And actually, 
it's then a case of I'm just going to try and get through to July if I make it that far. What is a suitable response? You know, other than following your guidance, for instance, Chris, your compartmentalization, do step one of two and then three and then one and two and three and four. What's a suitable response for a teacher in that position so that they get to July and don't decide at Christmas, I've had enough of this, I'm, I'm gone? Immediately, the, the thing that jumps to my mind is seek support. No teacher should ever feel like they're isolated in a school. If you're in a school where you can't go to a senior leader or a middle leader someone and say, I'm really struggling with this, I need some help with this, uh, whether that's come and talk me through it, can I go and observe another teacher who does this stuff well, can you come and help me out with that, can you, are there like whole school routines that we can put in place that's going to support that, that doesn't mean that there's necessarily like a perfect answer, but at the same time, it's one thing to feel like you're massively struggling with this and you're on your own. It's another thing to feel like you're struggling with this and there are people in the school who have got your back. So the very first thing I'd say is if you are struggling to embed routines with your class, that isn't only on you. That is a whole group of people's responsibilities. The, bo the bottom line is this, this culture, we go back to you know the earlier question, how do we go about establishing them? Has to come from the top has to come from this 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 culture has to come through the school like it has to live and breathe everywhere you go now for me i i like the idea of consistency across the school i like the idea of like chris mentioned whole school uh techniques and i think that because what that does it, it 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 prevents um it prevents lethal mutation which i'm sure we'll talk about in a bit like in terms of pitfalls of routines and things like and that can easily happen um I, I, but but the bottom line is any teacher in that position you know it's a long time it's a long slog to get to summer and it can be dark you know and if you if you do not have appropriate support from your senior leadership team and you feel like there's no that that, that, that isn't the case that you know then that, then that's quite a serious position to be in i would be then considering like my options genuinely because like that you know it, it, like I say it has to come from the top and, and like I said no teacher ever should not be able to go to somebody in a, in a position of authority above them and, and, and seek support and say I, I can't deal, deal with this you know this this is too much um because because often you know realistically why are those children in that position yeah we have tough cohorts don't get me wrong right we have children we have challenging children but the bottom line is like why why you you know and then that's a lead as a question isn't it for the whole school today why how has it got to that point where those children are are like that in that class what you know what conditions what's come before that, that has allowed that to get to that point um and not sufficient support has gone in place so yeah 100 percent um yeah seek support definitely Something to add to that as well that is maybe, um, you know, a bit more helpful to those people who don't have that support and yet want to kind of persist is that in some cases you might need to adapt. You might need to show a little more flex, but it's the key thing I think to bear in mind with the introduction of routines in particular is it gets easier. Like all of this stuff feels so much harder in the first few weeks so the first you know two three or four weeks first half term than it does later and um if you'll excuse a bit of a dodgy metaphor if you've ever like had to hike a long distance and you don't know how far it is until the destination you you you, you know you're, you're going to get there eventually but you don't know whether it's two hours three hours four hours 
it feels so much longer if you don't know how long it's going to take. So if you're an inexperienced teacher or if you're an even if it's just you're an experienced teacher, but you're in a new year group, it can feel like you can be three weeks in and the routines aren't taking the way you want to and behavior isn't where you, quite where you want it to be. And it's a real struggle. It can feel like it's going to be forever when actually, you know, at the end of the year, you look back and think, actually, that first half term was a slog. But boy, did it get easier. So trying to persist. I think is a key thing but yeah reaching out for support adapting where you need to or is you know has to be a decent bit of advice but um at, at heart there's uh, there is an element of just being willing to persist and recognizing that in most cases it will get easier those um those routines will become more embedded with time it's just sometimes it is trickier with certain classes yeah i mean you could probably tell by the way i asked the question i've definitely been that teacher and i've supported many 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 teachers in that same situation, you know, in part of my job for the last five years has been working with our least experienced teachers. And, and they said, oh, no, they'd be here for you, like X, X, Y, and Z, or, you know, oh, they, they follow those routines really well. And I'm all, yeah, but I've been here for four years and they know who I am and they know what to expect. So I'm on a, a head start from you. And so I always tell them not to stress, be consistent. And like you say, ask for help if necessary. Because like you said, Lloyd, if your school is not supporting you, there are plenty of schools that don't have teachers, you know? It, yeah. so you know obviously go through the necessary steps ask for help because i know that you know most school leaders the vast vast majority of them will want to support you but if that's not there well it's not a case of finding another profession it's finding the right school that will support you because if you do this day in day out for five six years well actually then that's when you start to feel halfway competent to the job we've discussed this before and then that's where you can start learning about your craft because you've got the nuts and bolts sort of done. So I think I think that's a solid answer because it's not an easy question. And I know I threw it at you without writing it down on any <laughs> sort of pre-notes, um, but I think you guys have handled that well. I mean, we talk about routines for students, but one of the things, one of the coping mechanisms that I've had for the first few years of my career was uh, routines for myself as well. So when you don't have that authority in a classroom, when you're struggling, when you're an NQT, to have personal routines that are like, do you know what, count of count to 10 don't react immediately immediately to the behavior think about really explicitly think about the behavior policy and how you're going to go about implementing that and what language you're going to use and you know this is um i know that this is creeping into uh, itt now the idea that we have these uh pre-practiced teaching routines or sort of like set pieces that we use so it's been really useful for me personally to to think about it that way and it sort of links into the routines we have so you know, if I'm doing the countdown and they're lining up and an X situation happens, like, what is my routine then? What do I do? Well, it needs to be consistent every time. I'm not going to one time let them get away with chatting away in the line constantly. Um, it has to be consistent. So it's always got to be done in silence. And then, so what's my routine if it fails? What's my routine if my routine fails? Uh, I think it's good to have something in the back pocket there to think about. I think as a general rule as well, if you are struggling with routines and with behavior, um, that's all fantastic advice from Adam. I'd add to it a little bit um, just to say, um, use less words and script. You know, like thinking, Adam definitely kind of suggested this, but this idea of, of practicing outside the classroom, how am I going to deal with this? What phrase am I going to use? So you're not having to think it up on the spot. There's such a temptation to think that we are and can be persuasive with our language off the cuff in terms of um, supporting pupils to, you know, behave in different ways. 
I don't think it works. I, I think it's real like hubris. It certainly was on my part. I often thought I could like I could talk these kids round. Nope, that's not not how it worked. Um, so having a script, minimizing your words as well, and thinking, yeah, this is this is what I'm going to say in these instances. Um, but if in doubt, a long like Adam says, a long pause and then few words to go with your action. I find that the more pleased I am with something, the more um, I'm the more. The more when, when kids show me something I want to see, I'm incredibly verbose. And if I'm seeing something I'm not happy about, I try and use as few words as possible. And that seems to help, not just with the development of routines, but also just whenever I'm struggling around school. Just to link also very quickly back into what Lloyd said earlier about these kind of levels and also what Adam's saying here about personal teacher routines. I think going right back up to that kind of senior level as well. I think it can be valued to have a routine of, oh, okay, every um, Tuesday and Thursday, Thursday, I go and check in with this ECT because I know how difficult it is to be an ECT. And in the, in the, you know, the busyness of being a middle leader or a senior leader in a school, you can forget this stuff and having a routine for when you check in with these people. I'm not saying that's the only time you check in, but having a routine can help you make sure that you know that, yeah, you know what, I have, there's always been an opportunity. I remember being an NQT and I remember having a really good mentor and I knew that every Friday there'd be a knock on the door. How was your week? How did it go? And so if I was really struggling with something on Wednesday or Thursday, I knew I could seek this person out. But I also knew that if I couldn't find them, it wasn't the end of the world. I knew I was going to get the chance to talk to them, you know, Friday, 3.45 if I needed to. So, yeah, again, it goes back to this idea of routines on all levels. I think just to, to add to what Chris said about... Um spontaneity there's an incredible uh, comedian called monica geldart who is on twitter and she perfectly skewers english secondary school teachers and the cliches that they come up with and it like you don't realize just how cliched you're being until you've watched her videos or watch like you know tiktok meme collections of what kit teenagers have made about teachers uh, there was one the other day that i saw on tiktok um that really gave me flashbacks to being a secondary school teacher that was like being told off in year seven and it was like you guys have just started this school and we expect better of you and there was like being told off in year nine it was like you know you've been in this school for two years now and being told off in year 11 you guys are the role models and you should really be and like it was literally like it's and you can see like year six how many times have we all said to year six you are at the top of this school and you should be role models those year twos over there are watching you and watching how you behave and it's like, okay, so are there actually more effective ways <laughs> rather than trying to use emotion and and kind of like coax them and, and think about adult motivations for doing things? And, and they're kids and they don't really have adult motivations for doing things. And quite frankly, has a year six ever cared about being a role model to the rest of the school? Deep down, maybe, maybe not. We are, I think, at a natural halfway point. So I want to say... Thank you very much to everyone who helps learn on Kofi, sponsoring Kofi. They have supported Adam and his new microphone. Hopefully you can tell the difference in quality. You know, it's a, it sounds nice on my end. I'm sure it will when it's in edit. Um, but also to apologize because I'm in my mum's kitchen and the sound quality is the opposite. <laughs> so hopefully it hasn't destroyed things too much, but you can definitely tell I'm in the kitchen and I'm using the internal microphone which is uh, not ideal, but yeah, I mean, massive thank you to everybody who helps us out. And obviously there's some extra stuff on there that, you know, people are interested in, they can, they can watch. I think you have answered this question because I think uh, Christopher, 
you used a bell, Adam used numbers. But are there, are there any other ways you signal it's time for routines? I think this is one Elliot, if he were here, he wanted to discuss. So for instance, Chris, when you ring your bell, that's time for the routine to happen. Adam, you said you, you counted at 15, and even when 15 is up in maths lessons, it's time to tidy up. <laughs> and are there any other signals that you guys use in class? I think where you place yourself in the class is a really good indicator of what's about to happen. So if you're placing yourself at the front of the class with your arms folded, you know, what what is about to happen, those kind of physical signals. Um, in my classroom, I have um, three columns of chairs uh, and each column, all of the pencil pots are in a color. So I have like a red column, a green column and a blue column. And I would just simply say, you know, once I got them silent using that particular routine, I would be like, right, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so blue, so-and-so and so-and-so green. And those two people would collect up the books. Uh, one of them would collect up and one of them would hand out for the next lesson. So that sort of thing, I guess it's all verbal, visual. I'm, I know that there's a lot of, um, hold on, I'm probably going to give some people some real like uh, flashbacks now, but, and that sort of like repetition, I know that's very primary school. And I know that it's, it's actually, it works best in huge context. So it works best, uh, where it's like a P lesson or where it's the whole school in assembly. But um, personally, I don't love the clapping. I, d I don't know, because it doesn't imply then that it only really works if children know they have to be silent after they've clapped. And that's a well-established routine. It doesn't really work um, if it's just, you know, they did it last year, we're doing it this year. So so the clapping is perhaps my controversial opinion that I don't, I don't really enjoy the repeated over and over again until they get it right totally understand why you wouldn't like the clap like, to be honest I'm, I'm probably with you on that one a little bit but and i also agree in the bigger sort of assembly context like it's a good it's probably the best tool one of the best tools as a new teacher or a teacher in a class coming in in, in sort of in a couple of weeks time i'd be going to I, I would actually write down what are my key if, if this hasn't already been codified for you by school already as part of your induction or part of your transition process write down what 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 are your your sort of key routines write them down because i think if you codify them there's a clarity in that so that's my first piece of advice secondly i would divide them uh, and i would divide them into verbal cues and non-verbal cues and i think there's times where we've already talked about this where you there's time for a verbal cue and there's times for a, a non-verbal one think and you might have to adapt this as you go along but if you set out the year with an idea of do you know what? Actually, I don't need to use words there. Like Chris said, I don't. I don't need to use any words there. We can decide on a on a on a on a cue for this, a non-verbal cue. Uh, it's you know that is not going to work for everything for every for every routine you want to run. Of course, it's not. But I think being succinct, and I'm and I'm sort of thinking now to Adam's notion and workflows and things like that in terms of how you organize these sorts of things. I think this could be a a smart way of of approaching um approaching the year and approaching the new routines that you that you would want to form so that would be my uh my little bit to add um one of the things that i used to do and would probably still do next time i was back in the classroom is silent countdown so in terms of getting pupils attention i'm a big fan of basically doing a countdown on my hand five four three two one but i don't say anything i just show the hand and then the kind of the zero is either a you know, a strike through or a, some kind of signal that vis visibly says the countdown's done. So at the start of the year, I'll often say, okay, I'm going to do a silent countdown now, which is, you know, defeats the purpose somewhat, but very quickly it just becomes, okay, silent countdown. And then eventually it's just 
hand goes up and I start counting down. And that seems to work quite nicely. Um, I think it doesn't even have to be a countdown. I've seen certain schools where what they just do is hand, you know, teacher raises hand in the air and then pupils are meant to be quiet relatively quickly. And where that is, I think that one works best if that's one that works kind of across a school, um, quite, a, you know, worth bearing in mind that not all teachers can like raise their hand above their head um, occasionally, particularly teachers with disabilities or a little bit older, shoulder issues, et cetera. So, I mean, that, you'd be surprised. I've come across three or four teachers where that's the case. But so worth checking that one out with your teachers. But it works well if there are no um, issues along those lines. I think as a general rule, if there's anything that I can make non-verbal as a signal, I prefer to if I can. But it's just not always the case that that's possible. I think one of the things that I've thought about a lot this year um, is we often suggest like go and go and see other teachers uh, and see what they're up to um, and you know and basically like they've got the winning formula and we just copy that formula and it works and actually um, I uh, didn't find that at all useful when I was uh, an NQT um, because there's there's a there's a sort of secret source and that secret source is experience uh, and authority and it's not you can't just generate those things and the other thing is there are wildly different types of teachers so when Chris is talking about having verbal cues like for me I can create a verbal cue that would deafen every single child in my class uh, and probably be heard on the other side of zone one like I don't have a problem raising my voice or projecting my voice whatsoever uh, but when so when a colleague uh, who's an ECT, who's a, a much sort of milder, um, quite naturally a, a quieter person came and um, observed me in my routines. There is quite a lot of verbal because I can sort of cut through the the noise of a classroom with, with my sort of booming voice. Um, but then when we had a discussion afterwards, it was like, well, that's, that's not going to work for you because one of the things that, again, like did certainly happen to me earlier on in my career is when those routines don't work and then your voice crack there's that crack in the voice of like and then you're like oh okay actually this is why we need to develop non-verbal routines because a verbal routine reflects your mood quite often and a verbal verbal uh, routine will sort of reflect you maybe a little bit of your loss of control or uh, things like that whereas a non-verbal it's quite hard to show that you've you feel like you've lost control when you're just putting your hand up in your air uh, in the air as long as you're not sort of violently waving it around or trying to get children's attention so yeah it's it the cues are interesting because it's it's not a one-size-fits-all approach and maybe that's some a, a critique of having whole school routines is that i actually find it easier to use verbal cues than to use the, the sort of silent countdown thing um but that wouldn't work as a whole school routine one other thing teacher just just sort of encapsulating what everything that's been said uh, it's routines obviously we talk about getting children to do them you know and all the rest of it as a teacher something you can do yourself uh, is make a line of sight card um, with just three reminders of three of the key routines you want to nail down so it's just in your periphery so like it's it's just somewhere in line of sight all the time and that can be changed can't it once you get that routine down you can chalk up a new one you know and I just I, I think that you know it can be helpful. I'm not saying it's a magic bullet, but it's the little things you do that all add up to helping. So like, you know, like I say, with that codifying, part of that would be then where that's where that's placed. So. We've discussed what we can do to establish routines, which routines we think are important, how we might signal routines and, and quite a lot around that as well. 
is there anything we need to watch out for? You know, things that could potentially go awry, things that could be sort of detrimental to our efforts to establish this utopia where everyone's moving in the right direction in our, in our classrooms. What, what could potentially go wrong? What should we be having one eye on as we move into September? There are going to be occasions where you need to break a routine. Something comes up that means actually, yeah, we, we, this isn't going to work right now for whatever reason it might be, or it didn't work, you know? And I think if you are going to have to break a routine, if you are going to say, oh, actually on this occasion, we're going to do something slightly different, explain it, signal it, make it clear. We're just on this one occasion, we're going to do this because of this. And then, you know, extra effort back into putting that routine in place. So if you do have to do something slightly different to your usual routine, for whatever reason it might be, don't just pretend it, pretend it hasn't happened. Make it clear that you are doing that and perhaps why you're doing that. I think we need to be careful with lots of routines where, um, reasonable adjustments need to be in place. I mean, where a teacher, for example, might have, you know, the, the phrase, okay, so uh, one, two, three eyes on me, if you've got pupils who um, struggle to make eye contact. And so actually when they're learning, they are better, you know, looking at the board or whatever it might be, then you need to think carefully about, is there, are there any elements of your routines that aren't going to um, be suitable for all pupils in the class? I think, as we mentioned earlier, these are things to teach. So focus on the positive. It could be really easy, um, again, to slip into the negative when you're talking about the development of routines and when you're trying to get back there. Be ready for these routines to take a little step back when um, you come back after a school break, particularly after first half term, because they're not that um, like set in stone yet. Don't So don't be surprised if you come back after a half term or after the Christmas holidays, wherever it is, and these routines need to be re-embedded. So be ready for that. Try not to be demoralized by that. They should learn those routines again um, relatively quickly. But yeah, that's those are a few things I reckon I'd look out for. What I would add to that, um, Chris has already kind of mentioned it, um, is fatigue, uh, routine fatigue, which is, uh, you know, that, that happens at different pinch points in the year. Um, so particularly not just about as well, not just about coming back, but towards the end of a very tiring term, you know, you're deep in December and it's close to Christmas and children are excited. Routines are hard then. It's not, it's not, it's not, let's not dress this up any other way, right? They're hard. And anybody who says that, that, that they're not, or that their routines are down in schools, they are working overtime at those points to make those routines happen and make them work because children get excited at Christmas. Adults get excited at Christmas. Adults get tired at Christmas. Children get tired at Christmas. You know, so all these things, we, we've got to be realistic about the fact that that is the case. Um, so so it's how it's then it's then thinking about how you overcome that fatigue or what, what you can put in place. And I'm sure we can go on to talk about about that but that that's one so fatigue um lethal mutations is my is probably another one so how routines can mutate into something and i've seen this happen in schools where the best intentions teachers of, of trying to do something and they 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 and i take what i'm saying there is definitely a uh, a tension between personalization and whole school uh, routines. I, I would, I would 100% agree with that. There is a line to walk there, but where potentially it can go wrong is where teachers try and bring something 
special and razzmatazz to routines, which is just too complicated and too uh, ambitious. And if we think back to that cognitive load and we think back to what can happen with children with routines, that it starts to fall down and then somebody else copies it because they think that it's a really smart, they think it's really snazzy and they go, oh, I'm going to do that in my class. And then all of a sudden you realize that it's in three classrooms and it's re it's a really poor routine. So like, I think that's another thing just being really careful. Like, I guess I'm speaking again as a, from a leader's perspective here, but um, if you are that teacher thinking about, Ooh, that's a, that's a, that, that seems cool as a routine, you know, what that teacher does just just check some checks and balances like with yourself like is that is that, that gonna work like is that gonna actually have the desired effect um uh, chris has already mentioned watering down you know watering down things what you permit you promote so at the end of the day when when you slack on those routines even in the dying breaths of the term all has an impact all erodes the um the sort of uh the authority of the routine if you will um, so I think that's really, really, really important. Um, and you can, I would be mindful of naysayers for routines, people who just don't, you know, like don't, not on board with routines. And it's not many teachers, but there are some out there who fly by the seat of their pants. Um, and they will likely be like, ah, you know, you don't need that. If you, if they, you know, you'll hear them talking to the staff from you, you, we've all met these people in teaching and they are, they're few and far between, but they are there, they are out there. So be wary of those people because go back to why routines are important, cognitive load, queuing, you know, reducing the bleed between lessons. That bleed is our worst enemy in, 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 in primary schools. You know, we can't afford that bleed. We need to maximize the time. So yeah, that would be the things I would say to look out for. Where the routines become about you and your personality and you wanting to show off and kind of like create something like, you know, razzmatazz, as you say, that is a big danger area for me. And I love, I love routines because it looks great when people come in the classroom and you can just sort of like go, and you know a thing happens and it's really well practiced and it's brilliant it's great but that's not the primary reason for doing that it's not even like one of the top 10 reasons for having routines isn't to like show off about how brilliant you are as a teacher it's it's you know because they work because they help keep cognitive load down because they help to uh, make your life just vastly easier as a teacher um so yeah that's that's sort of what i would avoid really is is letting your ego bleed into routines so that it becomes about you controlling your classroom or you showing off to visitors or you kind of like creating something that is um <laughs> not efficient uh yeah complicated or uh yeah i think we've all seen examples of of routines gone a bit ott um and i certainly know that there are teachers who are quite reluctant you know who the teachers who say that they don't need the routines are the teachers who've been teaching for like 15 20 years um or who just aren't wildly efficient as teachers who perhaps don't fulfill their you know timetable every week or whatever it is so in my experience those teachers are um not always the best people to listen to early on in your career um because it's it's very hard to replicate what they have uh, so you need a system and the system is routines. I was thinking about it like um, you know, coding on scratch, you know, something we're all obviously very experienced with as primary teachers, but we create blocks throughout the day of certain routines 
that help a program to run smoothly. So, you know, if we're going to do X, which is we want to complete a math lesson, then what blocks do we need to have in place to move from an English lesson to a math lesson? So someone needs to collect in, someone needs to hand out. What are children doing in the meantime whilst that's going on? You know, how literally like Lloyd was saying, you know, I like to have my systems in place. So I think about my day as a series of, of blocks on scratch of going from, you know, routine to content to routine to, you know, having a beer in the pub after school <laughs> so fantastic um i mean have you blogged about your scratch compartmentalization or do you now have 72 hours to write that blog you know that that's the metaphor yeah, um, you know i yeah i love a metaphor um yeah blogging are we still blogging no i do sorry just after <laughs> all the controversy over the last few uh yeah, uh, it's a shame I can't squeeze it into my book somehow. Uh, maybe I'll find a way. Um, but yeah, uh, it, I mean, it's in a way, I think that you could easily argue against that analogy because it turns teaching into a series of instructions. And actually, th was it this week, Rishi Sunak talking about um, teaching by AI? I mean, that's literally what I just described. <laughs> Why don't we just plug a teacher in and get them to follow certain routines? And I mean, it o massively oversimplifies things, but it's just because I... That, helps me to think about uh, my day in that way oh, i think you've been far too harsh on yourself i think the, the nature of teaching is that there's loads of stuff in like a four five hour well five six hour day there's loads of stuff you have to think about really deeply um, on the fly you have to um, react in time it's a really really cognitively demanding job and if if you are thinking about what you're exactly what you're doing and how you're going to do it in the moment throughout that day you're just going to be dead on your feet by the end of the week, which we are anyway, but it's, you know, just not going to cope. You need to have for lots of chunks of your day, stuff that you and the kids just do on instinct. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that what you've described there at all um, is the aligns with the rightful criticisms that people have had of what Rishi Sunak's described. I think it's, it's it, you know, to stretch the metaphor to its, it's, finest point is less like coding in scratch and more like coding in c hash hash or creating you know red dead redemption or something like that it's a much more like a variable environment scratch is a is a process a straightforward process you might have a couple of logic gates in there but it's it's linear whereas actually what we're dealing with in the classroom every day is c hash hash and it's like well which bits of code can we copy and paste from github to make our lives easier I mean, this is a metaphor that really not a lot of people are going to make much sense of, but I'm enjoying it. So um, yeah, that's what we do. We need to just find these bits of code that we can use. And, and actually it is quite analogous to how real life coding is done, where you're just constantly copying and pasting the same sort of things to debug something or to get something to work or to create a stack or something like that. So how do we, you might have a million variables going on, but actually we need to keep copying and pasting these bits of code uh, every day because if you don't do that you're having to write it from scratch every single time and that's just not going to work copywriting that metaphor because I've, i there's something there um <laughs> i i have enjoyed working through that <laughs> <laughs> i think it's great but i also love the idea that there's a few people out there who are going i can't wait for this um, computer programming metaphor to end and they didn't have to wait too long to get to the end it was like it was a 20 minute section and, and now they're okay right we're back into bits that i understand not because of your metaphor but just because once you start to mention c hash hash, you're all, you talk about the C++ thing or is it a different thing? And then 
Oh, C++. You see, I'm really earning my keep as like head of computing here. You know, this is this is uh, going on my performance review for next year that I talked about coding for five minutes. So. <laughs> so there's only one thing left to do. And this is Lloyd, what you were sort of going for at the very start. What can leaders do to support their teachers? Okay, so we've talked, I think, quite a bit about what we can do as teachers, but what can we do to make sure that on the 5th of September, our teachers are ready? Should we be leaders who are listening? It lives and dies with the, with the, with the leadership at the, at the, at the, right at the top of the school for, for the consistency across the school, that you can have lots of routines going on, but to pull it all together and again, your staff to understand why is, is really, really key. I, I think there's a couple of things really that, that leaders can do to make sure that teachers are supported with this. The first thing I would say is presence um is 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 just the most the top of the list for me be present as a leader in those early stages of the year be around those children be in and about and i I don't mean in a a sort of dictator kind of like i'm coming down to to check that you're doing the routine right Uh, as in you're there to support that routine you're there to support all those routines so that the children see oh this goes right to right to the top to the head teacher the deputy whoever the senior you know everybody does this you know it's it, that is the, the the one of the most important important things i think that that's my first point i would say in terms of that i would say in terms of supporting teachers over communicate the importance of routines in the first instance early in the year you can you can slow up on it a little bit as you, once they're a bit further embedded but i think it's it's really worth it's really worth noting as well and, and understanding you know, if you look at the research around um, habit formation, for example, and automaticity in routines, it takes a long time for a routine to become automatic, way longer than we think as teachers. Right. So you give it that answer more um, in terms of in terms of the time that it's going to take for you to do this. So your leaders need to make sure that they've mapped out points in the year where the fatigue is going to set in where teachers are going to need some support with reminders, where children are going to need support with reminders in assembly times. Leaders need to think about these things to help teachers, to help run those things, to take some of that load off teachers, right? Um, really, really key. And this is where, again, I'll go back to Andrew Percival's curriculum. Um, he, you know, he's got that mapped out. So if you want to see a really good model for that, Google that up, Stanley Road. It's stunning. It really is a clever piece of uh, a clever piece of design that for a behavior curriculum. Two two more things. Uh, one, model it yourself as a leader. So not just being there to support it, do it. Like actually run routines, like assembly routines, like as a leader, for example, if you're not class-based or whatever, run that assembly as a routine. You know, run the routines, get that down, practice those routines of what happens in assemblies with children. We like good transition will include this. We we started doing this last last year, and like Adam said about about knowing that, and Chris said about picking up uh, on what what children do, having an opportunity to go in and get your teachers in to see them in their current class. We did it over four four or five weeks, and we got our teachers to just watch the current teacher they're with teaching them. Um, and then going in and doing a story and it built up. And then to the point where on our transition day, we practiced an assembly. We literally, we didn't actually do an assembly. We just practiced walking to assembly and back because it's like, this is now how you walk it from this new position. 
you know, and, and it's what Adam said, you know, he's going to, they're going to sweat that stuff in the, those first two landing days, you know, it, it leaders knowing that this stuff is, is vital. It's absolutely vital. So model it, get involved in it and do it. Um, and, and like the final point I would say is probably just, just build it into everything you do, build it into everything you do. So everything you do in a school is a routine, right? Like, like nearly everything you do is a routine. So it's like, what can be made more efficient? how the children go into the lunch hall, how the water's handed out for lunch, how the bread is distributed. Everything we do in schools is routine. So sweat them, make them important and make them a profile and they become the culture of your school. When Lloyd was talking about distributing the bread and water there, made me realize that perhaps my love of routines is linked to my Catholic upbringing. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, there's nothing more routine focused than a mass is there uh so yeah but do you know what it made me think um about kind of sharing the joy of routines because one of the sticking points i think often is that transition from lunchtime to classroom and and what happens at lunchtime sometimes feels quite detached from the rest of the school culture um and actually lunchtime staff are exactly the kind of people that would benefit from really really clear routines and from implementing the same behavior policy that we have in classrooms uh, at lunchtime as well so from a leadership perspective I think looking at ways in which routines are used outside of the classroom that's a really good place for leadership to focus because you know obviously that's not where where teachers are necessarily um, yeah uh, playtime same as well you know using really strong routines at playtime practicing uh, routines at playtime so yeah that's that's something that just popped popped into my head thinking about what Lloyd was saying I remember when I was a teaching assistant, just uh, kind of a little, because you've covered all the most important stuff, uh, Lloyd and Adam. So I'm just going to drop in something quite small. I remember as a teaching assistant um, in a class and the teacher was away and a uh, deputy head was covering. And this deputy head was talking about the kind of routines that each individual classroom had. And what they did was when it came to handing out books and when it came to you know lining, lining up at the door, all of these bits and pieces said, okay, how do you usually do this? And so the class saying, oh, we, we, we do it this way. We do it this way. We've got this routine in place. They didn't use the phrase routines, but they were able to say, we do this, we do this, we do this. And then that deputy head did that, said, okay, I don't want to disturb the, the, the culture you've built up in this, in this class, the routines you've built up in this class. So, let, so let's keep with that. And that for me was a, the sign of a senior leader who recognizes the value of routines because you sometimes see the complete opposite where um, head teacher or a deputy head or whatever it might be will cover a class and just will tread all over the way that things are usually done and will just think, oh, well, I'm just covering for the day. They'll pick it back up when I come back in. There is something about the first way of doing that where you are almost kind of quite respectful of the way that an individual class does things and tries to maintain that that I think can be really a really valuable mindset for senior leaders and middle leaders to have when they go into someone's classroom to cover. Having said that, I have been that deputy covering. I have gone in and said, what do we normally do? And they just give you a pack of lies and you just end up doing something that is nothing like the routine that the teacher normally does. And they go, they come back in and go, you did what with them? And so with all the best intentions, I totally always say there, Chris. So having suffered that, uh, there is just a little caveat there, just a cautionary tale. <laughs> yeah, that might be context dependent. If you say, yes. how, how do we hand out the books? And they respond, well, what we do first, we throw is we go in, 
we go to across the room or we go in the teacher's drawer and we find all of the chocolate they've got in there and we eat that and then we think about everything else so yeah little, little caveat there has to be a little bit of common sense excuse my whimsy sorry no, 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 I, I um i actually know of a class in a secondary school that once told a covering member of slt that um they had were given prizes for certain things uh out of out of a box that they knew they knew where it was stashed and these prizes were like you know you might earn these once in a year and they the member of slt basically gave out the entire box of prizes over the course of a day uh as rewards for pretty pretty minor minor things so well going back to my example then which i saw as a teaching assistant it might be worth noting that this works better when there's a teaching assistant in the room to ensure that they're there isn't this complete breakdown in consistency. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Um, I don't know. I don't know, Adam, if this applied to your sort of particular branch of is it sort of Anglican Catholicism or English Anglo Catholicism. But between the period where I would have had to go to mass because I had to go with my parents and things, and then when I started going to weddings, you know, so maybe between a gap between sixteen and twenty six they changed the order of the mass. And so you've got all this muscle memory where you've got yourself match fit, right? I'm good. I'm ready to go. I can be a positive member of society. I can go to this wedding and then everything's different. You know, maybe the middle third of the mass, I was like, oh my, I don't know. I don't even know the words anymore. And you've got all these other words in your head, memorized that will never be used again. I don't know, did that, did that happen to you? <laughs> It, yeah, it, so it, it happens when you switch. Uh, I think of it in rugby terms of code switching, but <laughs> but in terms of like switching from Catholicism to Anglo-Catholicism, then yeah, everything changes. There's that I think it's Ardlo Hamlin joke about um, going to a, a Protestant wedding as a Catholic, and you get to the end of the Lord's Prayer, and the, they say, um, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name." I'm trying to remember what the end of the Lord's Prayer is now. It's really hard to do when you don't say the entire thing. Uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anyway, it's this bit about so, the, uh, the glory. Thine is the power, the glory, that bit? Yeah, thine is the power, the glory. Now, I can't do it without uh, without going through the whole thing. But yeah, <laughs> Protestants say a bit, Catholics don't say a bit. And he was saying, you know, all the Protestants were showing off their extra bit of the Lord's Prayer that they say. So yeah, it's, it's, it's weird when you switch back and forth. And little things as well, like the translation is slightly different. So in the Church of England, they say, um, peace be with you. Uh, but... It, uh, um, and also with you and the Roman Catholic churches and with your spirit. So it's just little things like that, really. Just a little, I mean, while we're going down this rabbit hole, just a little thing about the importance of routines. I remember as a Anglican choir boy, um, actually, well, say choir boy, this was a little bit afterwards where I persuaded my mum that I didn't have to do that bit anymore. Um, getting communion after I'd been confirmed. And um, one of the things, one of the key routines, or at least I think key routines of the person who's delivering communion is the wiping of the, um, I was about to say goblet. What's the word I'm looking for? Chalice. The wiping of the chalice with this kind of this white cloth. And and this curate didn't do it. Or I think it was the curate. They didn't do it. And the person before me, like, drank the blood of Christ. And then I, and then immediately after, like, you, you didn't wipe the you, did, you didn't wipe the glass, and it was just completely traumatized me as a fourteen-year-old. Uh, well, so, Chris, I'm I'm glad to be able to tell you that those chalices usually have a silver uh, coating, and silver is antibacterial. So, technically, I don't think you have to 
but also saying that I haven't actually had communion since COVID, um, since uh, most of the churches I've ever been to have stopped doing it now. So maybe they are massive vectors of disease. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> this has been another fascinating episode of Thinking Deeply About Eucharistic Rites. You know, I'm really looking forward to <laughs> ecumenical matters next week. Yeah, you this know. is uh, this is the new new branch. It's just for Kofi Kofi patrons. <laughs> But I mean, I mean, sometimes we have these conversations and I think, okay, I mean, that was interesting, at least to us. But I do think that this one will be genuinely useful to lots of people. So I'm really going to try and make sure it gets to as many new teachers and sort of be, you know, not even brand new, but, you know, people at the start and are, are nervous about going back in September, you know, that people feel the same way, but there are ways around these things. I think it'll be really useful. So all I said to do is say thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you very much. Thank you, Adam. And with your spirit. Thank you, Christopher. Thanks again. And to everyone at home, the Mass has ended. You may now go in peace. <laughs> Thank you for listening. quality re content i just assumed you were going to cut all of that out and now that you've like gone with it at the end of it okay so it's staying in great yeah. <laughs> yeah, love it i just i'm just gonna say i mean this is an episode full of potential cold drops but yeah. um <laughs> the, the, i think lloyd's phrase this i'm not a grad grindian overlord but <laughs> that is a... <laughs> I'm not a great bride um, overlord, but... But I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's difficult to do an episode on routines and not just come across like you are a great grindy and overlord because when it comes to routines, I basically am, so...